RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. I want to welcome back to RCR Greg Simons at uh, the Tariba University, Riga, Latvia. Our listeners for this show anyway should know Greg by now. He's been on quite a few times talking about geopolitics, I think most recently Ukraine, etc. But uh, this morning he joins us from Latvia to talk about the latest, and it looks like it could become quite a big conflict. That is the, let's call it the Israel-Gaza war. And Greg, nice to have you back. Uh, cheers for that, Paul. Okay, so what is the potential, do you think? What, what are people like you saying um, regarding the potential for this to become big scale? Well, I mean, it's becoming more and more so. I mean, it seemed to be something very local, but now given the, the different escalation, and not only the escalation, but the elevated emotions on this, this can become much, much wider and start something regional. And if something regional starts, then it's usually a short stop before something global starts because you've got so much tension <clears throat> at the moment between, broadly speaking, Global North, which is this US Western centric world, and Global South, which are these multipolar, uh, d different countries, non-Western uh, orientation. So, yeah, it, it's becoming more and more. I mean, uh, Douglas McGregor, who you probably uh, have heard of, he, he's totally. uh, talking along these lines as well. Now, it seems to someone who is not that well informed on this, and that is me, basically, that there are a couple of questions that... Um, that, that have me scratching my head. First of all, I always thought that Israel was so onto it in terms of their intel and uh, knowing that um, that they are threatened, their position, physical position, and more in the world put them in a very difficult place, and they were totally aware of that. On the other side, Hamas must have been aware what they did, the way they attacked, would really poke the bear, let's say, and um, and result in the sort of, well, some are thinking it could be a scorched earth response to that, yet they went ahead and did that. So both those positions kind of are hard to, to work out strategically. Yeah. No, no, uh, on the first point, the, the, the theoretical strategic surprise of, of this Hamas operation well, I mean, if you go outside of the Western uh, media bubble, you actually uh, start to hear other perspectives. And one of them was that Egypt had warned Israel directly several times that something big was coming up. And so, I mean, uh, either Israel chose to ignore that or for some other reason, they decided to let it slide. And this won't be the first time in history uh, that you have a war of convenience. I mean, if we if we look at other uh, such things, but, and then I'll go into the, the logic of saying this. Well, for instance, I mean, the US uh, already broke the Imperial Japanese Navy code and Washington knew 
that there was an attack on Pearl Harbor, which is why you did not have any aircraft carriers in Pearl Harbor on, a, on that Sunday, 7th of December. Of course. Yeah. yeah, because they are what's valuable, not the battleships. And a couple of thousand, shall we say, martyrs, <laughs> uh, who's going to argue the course of going to war? No one. Yep. And so here you have a number in this uh, Hamas case uh, attack that there have been former Israeli Defence Force personnel uh, who also, not only in the Israeli Defence Force, but serving in intelligence roles. Uh, and they said there is no way that Israel did not know the attack was coming. So then you got to say, okay, what's the benefit? Uh, who benefits? And if you look at the timing, I mean, Netanyahu was on the ropes. Uh, he was threatened with investigation for corruption and other different issues. It looked like he was going to go out uh, <laughs> with a fizzle, so to speak. So, uh, I mean, the, this war, I think, May I mean, if you take take it from an extremely cynical point of view of uh, absolutely this cynical politics, wars tend to unite populations. Uh, I mean, look, George W. Bush would have been a one-term president if it wasn't for nine eleven. So, and Margaret Thatcher would have lost the election in nineteen eighty-two if it wasn't for the Falklands War. So, I mean, you have this historical record of wars being used to uh, solidify and consolidate political leadership. And yeah, that, that, that's the Israelis, but but there's also Hamas. They they yes. must have known by the brutality of that attack that they would get such a, an awesome response, let's say, in a bad yep. way, from Israel, uh, which will end up with many of their people killed, yet they went through with it. <clears throat> Well, I mean, this is the whole point of asymmetric warfare, and especially when you got this kind of insurgency uh, terrorism, because that whole thing is intended to elicit a disproportionate response, because then uh, you get this ethical and legitimacy dimensions of war start to kick in. So this political side of warfare, because if you look at it, I mean, Battles are won by military might. Wars are won by politics. So you you can win a whole lot of different wars, I mean, battles militarily, but lose it politically the whole war. And so, I mean, look at the international public. I mean, they're utterly uh, hostile, especially once you get out of the, the Western political leadership once you get out of that, you've got something which is very critical of Israel. And so politically, okay, they might win the war, I mean, the battle militarily, but they're going to lose this war politically. And you can see, well, Turkey has been making some very interesting remarks and some mobilization of military force. So, I mean, this is the political dimension coming in. And, and that's what Hamas would have been aware of in of course. They, provoking they would have Israel the way they have. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's like, I mean, uh, what the IRA used to do to the British Armed Forces. Prick, 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 and then a disproportionate response. And public support goes to the IRA in a way uh, from the British government and British uh, security forces. It's a, it's a, once more, it's a very cynical uh, political calculation, uh, but it's, it, it is done with a clear reason in mind. And once more, with the uh, requisite uh, human sacrifice, because uh, this is required to consolidate one side's support and the, the erosion of support of the other side. That human sacrifice that you talk about has been well-documented, well-filmed, well-distributed, like, mm. incredibly. Um, some of those clips have had uh, millions of views. So it, that is, I mean, I see that as, as part of the propaganda kind of yeah. war because you can see how those images are being used. Now, <clears throat> for people who, you know, were caught up in that, it's horrific. The people who did that to other folk, they're evil as far as I'm concerned. How could you not be if you do that? Yeah. But the way yeah. that content is picked up and used as part of this conflict. Have you, have you got any thoughts about that? Well, absolutely. I mean, for every physical war, every shooting war, you have an information war which runs alongside it because this comes to the, that divide between military power and political power. Military power decides the outcome of battles. Political power decides the outcome of wars. So... I mean, th this is all feeding into that in its hearts and minds. Also, uh, I mean, the, this demonization of the other is, is absolutely <laughs> interesting. And I mean, you can see this divide, this utter divide between what, I mean, Chomsky called worthy victims and those which are considered unworthy victims. So, and, and I mean, it depends on which side you are, because from Israel's side, the uh, Israeli civilians that were murdered are worthy victims, and those Palestinian civilians getting bombed to ash are unworthy victims. And of course, you've got the other side, which has the opposite view. So, I mean, this, this is all part and parcel of this information war. How do you think that, who do you think is, I mean, I don't want to be like Joe Biden who said, I don't think that that was our team. <laughs> I think he put it that way <laughs> when describing uh, an attack, which I thought was incredibly inappropriate. Yeah. Um, he obviously hadn't had his meds or something. But um, <laughs> who do you think, can we say anyone's ahead in that information war? Well, it, it, yes and no, because it depends. I mean, you've you got a very, uh, I mean, it's like this whole COVID thing or the Ukraine war, because what, what the effect of this is, it's polarizing society at other fractures and different points and so forth. I mean, if you go to the non-Western world, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's this, but I mean, th this is the problem also of this information war, the conflation of Hamas with Palestinians, because <laughs> not all uh, Palestinians belong to or even support Hamas. 
So, I mean, this is part of the information war too, this guilt by association. But if we look at it, I mean, this, uh, this Palestinian cause resonates very strongly with the non-Western world. And I mean, th this is why, I mean, you've got Erdogan, who's saying what he is, but you've got on the streets, uh, trashing McDonald's and all these things, these symbolic things of either uh, Israel or United States. I mean, uh, Mahachkala uh, Airport in Dagestan, where you had those uh, ones go into the airport and look for Israelis uh, when a flight from Israel was arriving. That. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you got all, so, I mean, that's on the one side. But, no, but can uh, we even the, believe that, though? Can we even <laughs> believe that? I, it probably happened, but you could set that up. Yeah, of course. You, you can, There are a lot of uh, propagandistic things here. I mean, you can see, I mean, that's the whole point, the, the absolute blurring of distinction between uh, fact and fiction. Uh, and there is a lot of fiction. And, I mean, there's a lot of walking things back. Like, if we go back a little bit, I mean, Israel initially said that they bombed that Baptist hospital. And they they had been telling, because th th this is a Christian hospital, it's not a, a Muslim one. And they, they were repeatedly warning uh, the administration of the hospital to evacuate because they're going to bomb it. They bombed it, killed a bunch of civilians, which is what happens when you bomb a hospital. And then they said, no, we didn't bomb it at all. No, 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 no. It was the car this, park. This was... Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this, this very much reminds me of what the Americans did in Fetus uh, Square in, in April 2003 when they went into Baghdad. Uh, you, you know, you saw the toppling of the Saddam Hussein statue. I remember right? watching that live. Yep. Yeah, but that was a very organised event, and and if and I actually got the full uh, down on it uh, in an, in a shall we say uh, not completely open lecture by an interesting guy, right. and he said, okay, <laughs> he said here goes what you saw on the TV, and here goes what you saw if the camera came back. The whole square was empty except for people around there. Right. Because it focused on there to make it look like a big crowd. What was that hotel which was there? It's where the Western journalists stayed. So it was nice and close to the hotel. Yeah. Ah, oh, American combat troops. No, they weren't. But those troops were American psychological operations troops. Okay. And, so that was part of the op. Yep. And then you had uh, that, you just happened to have that military engineer vehicle with the the, the towing hook. Yeah, they could pull uh, it over. Pull, it just accidentally <laughs> happened to be there at the time. And the thing which I didn't know was that those, those were Iraqis, but they had been bussed in from the United States. They were exiles living in the United <laughs> right. States. Uh, because the, the, according to them, the locals could not be trusted to do the right the right thing. So, uh, and this is this kind of stuff is happening in this. Hamas does it. Israel does it. I mean, they're both doing it because this is all part of this uh, political struggle within this uh, information war.
Um, you you've reminded me of that um, the, the scene that you've just described. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't feel comfortable about that. Watching that, mm. there was something yeah. wrong with that at the time. I got to say, yes. me. too convenient. And it was interesting when the American soldier went up with an American flag and put it on uh, Hussein around the neck, and the and there was an officer there, uh, you know, telling him off for doing it. Yeah, because... I saw that. Yeah, that's right. He got a telling off, didn't he? He did because that means occupation, uh, yeah. symbolizing occupation. So that soldier had to come down and go back up with an Iraqi flag because that's all about freedom and liberation. So, I mean, this is the level of cynicism that this gets to. Proportionality in response. That's something yeah. that people are talking about at the moment. Yep. It's <laughs> absolutely lacking. <clears throat> <clears throat> because if I mean the, the, there are so many things lacking in this uh, because it's a completely disproportionate response, and I mean you're getting nothing from so-called uh, political leadership of the West, the US or the EU. They're just writing a blank check for Israel to do whatever they want to do, and I mean the, the non-Western world is looking at that. And if you look at it, I mean you got a number of problems, especially when you have, I think it was defense, Israeli defense minister, there are no civilians uh, in Gaza, they're all Hamas, guilty by association. That's collective punishment. Uh, under international law, collective punishment is a crime against humanity. <laughs> and this is what different regimes have been uh, published, I mean, punished for in the past. Not to mention the disproportionate military response. Um, I mean, they bonded church, which was built by the Crusaders. I mean, Orthodox Church, because not everyone there is Muslim. I mean, you do have uh, old Christian communities there, and so I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't do that. That's a uh, these are war crimes because you're absolutely, I mean, you just see those images of the, the, the kinds of weapons they're using on civilian structures. I mean, th these are not precision. They, they, I mean, it kind of remind, reminds me somewhat of the raising of the Warsaw Ghetto uh, by the Germans when you had that uprising. I mean, this is not legal uh, in any sense of the word, and yet Western so-called leaders are silent on it or complicit. Well, so, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, no, carry on. So, I mean, th this is the thing. When you get something which is so obvious, uh, obviously morally and legally wrong, there are two things you can do. You can either pretend it doesn't exist, but th there are so many images of it existing uh, so this leaves the other path to somehow try and justify or explain. And this is what they're doing. Well, I mean, it's Hamas's fault. Uh, everyone's Hamas, uh, etc. This kind of one, this dehumanization uh, of Palestinians and this uh, collective guilt and collective punishment uh, approach. I'm no military strategist or, or historian or expert, but it seems to me that um, given, and I've, I've, I know a bit about Gaza, I haven't been there, but I've watched a few, you know, pretty intense documentaries, films about it. So I'm kind of aware of its size, its density, the populations and where where the clumps of people are 
how they sort of spread through there. It seems that it's kind of militarily impossible without doing a scorched earth to to take over. And when I say scorched earth, you know, destroy a lot of people to take mm. over that uh, that that kind of strip of land so densely populated and with people probably prepared to fight to the death, many of them. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like a, a very tough military yeah. proposition. Well, they, they actually make it tougher because the Germans learnt this issue when they went into Stalingrad. Uh, not a, a little town, oh, look, there's a bit of resistance. Uh, turn everything to ash and rubble. Well, if you do that, you can't use your vehicles, your armoured vehicles, because all the streets are blocked and they, they just can't go through it. Uh, you turn it into a much more defensible uh, position than if you left it intact. But if you leave it intact, of course, they can come at you from all different directions anyway. Uh, but it's going to be worse uh, for an attacker to have to navigate all this rubble, uh, which is much more easily defended. And given um, Netanyahu's position, quite unpopular up till about a week ago, and that's kind of a distraction. We don't know if that's well, that things don't change that quickly. Put it that way. Um, the yeah. more Israeli IDF personnel that that you know are killed in that yeah. uh, strip, the worse it becomes for you'd think. There's a, a tipping point. There must be of casualties yeah. where. The, the population just doesn't have the stomach for it. Well, interestingly, I've been seeing a, a number of videos uh, from Israeli citizens who are talking. I mean, uh, unlike some previous wars, this one has not united everyone completely because there are those Israelis, and you can see them. I mean, you, you even have the some Orthodox Jews who are speaking out solidly against this collective punishment. Because, I mean, the, the basic thing is, this, like all of these weird thing conflation, which is absolutely part of the psychological operations of this war, where if you're anti-Zionist, you're anti-Semitic, which is utter garbage, because the two are quite different. You, you, can, you can be Jewish and not a Zionist. <laughs> In fact, there are, I mean, the, the ones which are most critical among the Israelis are those were not Zionists. They're saying this this is inhuman. I mean, we have the right to defend ourselves, but not like this. And, and of course, I mean, the problem is that, uh, I mean, you can't say that, that it's anti-Semitic. I mean, you can say it's anti-Semitic uh, what, what has been done with this collective punishment because Palestinians are Semites. And so... You, you, you've got these different nuances and these different problematic issues where every, you, you've got all of these emotions, you've got all of these different uh, false truths, half-truths, uh, all, all of these coming into it. So, And you, you have these civilians, and th there's been a couple of influences, for example, Israeli influences, and one of them refused to. I mean, uh, the Israeli authorities offered to pay him a substantial amount of money if he gives and promotes uh, the official Israeli government narrative. 
So you've got all of these things coming into it. So, I mean, you have to be quite robust mentally to try and keep your head amongst this this maelstrom which is occurring in this information cognitive realm. And surely the military-industrial complex of mainly the United States kind of, this is good for business in the end, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It is good for business, although, I mean, yeah, they, they, they've given it a lot of the stuff already to uh, Ukraine for bad result, which is interesting to see now because uh, I, I think Ukraine is a little bit worried <laughs> that uh, they're about to be abandoned, and I think they more or less have been. Well, that because, war's over, isn't it, really? Yeah, uh, well, the fat lady hasn't quite uh, got to full voice yet, but she, she's getting there. And one can see that this is going to go how it goes for U.S. proxies in the past when they get abandoned, when the their the utility is no longer of value to the and becomes a liability for the uh, US authorities. So uh, hence this very desperate attempt by Zelensky to appear uh, in Israel and when he, he was refused uh, the permission to visit. Because now that this is Israel's moment in the light and its opportunity to uh, get a number of its domestic and foreign policy uh, things completed. Well, I think this is what the intention was anyway, because if you look at before the war, you you had a lot of media attention on these uh, Palestinian homes uh, getting taken by settlers and uh, Palestinians dispossessed. I mean, it's becoming quite a liability. Uh, but now who, who's going to challenge that, at least in the West? I mean, and you can see this is accelerated. I mean, and including in the West Bank, which has nothing to do with the Gaza and this particular conflict. Mm, mm. So you can see that, and you can see, I mean, Israel has been doing some very stupid things militarily and politically. They've been saying, well, we don't want Hezbollah uh, to come into the conflict, but they've been bombing Lebanon. Uh, and then you, then they say, well, yeah, and bombing uh, Aleppo Airport and Damascus Airport in Syria. I mean, all kinds of different breaches of the rules of war and things like this, and absolutely, I mean, counterproductive. I mean, what are you going to achieve by it beyond them potentially coming into the war when you rhetorically say you don't want them in the war? Because they they got nothing to lose. At the same time, though, I, I don't know if I've heard it from the Hamas or Palestinian side. It's possibly been there. But certainly Netanyahu has been kind of making biblical references. Yeah. Which seems to up the ante yet again, because I think we all know in our hearts and minds that religious wars are the nastiest yes. wars. And to gin that up, and to yes. talk in apocalyptic sort of um, prophecy terms yeah. and out of context, it seems pretty well, yes. um, is a very dangerous thing to do unless I'm missing something. I don't know. No, you're not missing anything. It's absolutely spot on because, uh, I mean, it, it's already emotional enough uh, be, because, I mean, 
you've got the cycle of revenge and counter-revenge followed by revenge and counter It's a non-ending cycle. And, I mean, you've got this... I mean, Netanyahu, I, I would describe as an opportunist uh, politician. He always has been. And he's been this hardliner uh, nationalist, uh, his whole thing, and his career has been built on this. So I think this is one uh, last throw of the die. He's trying to consolidate some kind of sense of legitimacy and authority by invoking this, these selective parts, uh, religious texts and tracts. So, yeah, it, it's a sign of desperation, but it can produce some very unpleasant results and things will get out of hand e even more. And so, I mean, at what point does it end? And of course, the United States is doing nothing. I mean, they've been criticizing Russia for doing what it's doing in Ukraine, which compared to what's happening uh, in Gaza, I mean, it's child's play. And you, you just got the, the rest of the world is actually watching this. And I mean, I was in Dhaka uh, at the, just at the time that the Gaza war kicked off. And, and I mean, the, the, these, are, these are the kinds of things which are being noted by uh, the people from this region. Okay, so Douglas McGregor, oh. you mentioned him before. He's not yeah. um, feeling too good about this. And He's kind of um, a credible commentator. Let, let's put it that way. Um, mm -hmm. And and it seems that um, you know Turkey, um, they've got a huge military, and they're very nationalistic. Potentially, there's Iran, eighty million people, um, yeah. and very tooled up with weapons. It seems, um, you know, and that's just two that are ranging up. Yeah. Um, this. This could go really badly, couldn't it? Well, I think you're, you're doing a, a fantastic Kiwi trait of massive understatements. Right. So, yes, uh, definitely. I mean, this can go very bad places because you're getting this increasingly complex system of relations and um, uh, alliances, if you like, uh, which are building. So... I mean, I think this is why Israel is doing its best to draw the United States into this, because, I mean, you can hear their rhetoric against Iran, for example, uh, that to destroy Iran. I mean, Israel can't do this. I mean, just common sense tells you. Uh, and, I mean, <laughs> the problem for them is if they start using uh, nuclear weapons on Iran, I mean, you've had the statement from Pakistan that they will return the favour to Israel. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you just see this, I mean, starting here and just spreading globally because then if you start threatening Iran, I mean, you've got the relations between China and Russia, for example, yeah. uh, both, of, both of which uh, the United States is trying to make their lives difficult. And, I mean, the U.S. is absolutely stretched. I mean, you've seen the, the increasing relations between Russia and North Korea, <clears throat> for example. So, I mean, this is in response to the U.S. 
I, I would say it's not only idiotic, but suicidal foreign I, I don't understand where, where the United States are on this. It, they seem to be, re- if you want to really identify the crazy ones, it's them. Yes, yes. Would that be yeah, right? No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, they've been on the top for too long. Uh, they've never been in a situation uh, where uh, they have to act rationally and reasonably for the last, well, since 1991, or one could even say a couple of years before, because they were the sole superpower. <laughs> and now, I mean, they've squandered that. Uh, well, I mean, there was a, a comparison done that the, the uh, what do you say, the foreign debt uh, of the United States grows as much each month as the the entire annual uh, budget of the Russian Federation. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go on indefinitely, even being the um no. the world's reserve currency indefinitely like that. No. Yet yet they do. So do you think um on the diplomatic front, obviously the US, unless they completely sort of turn and go the other direction, who who diplomatically can make the difference here, or is are we beyond that even now, maybe? Well, the West is no longer a credible diplomatic force. They've they've abandoned all diplomacy or even pretense of diplomacy. I mean, they've thrown in the unreserved, unconditional support for Israel and whatever Israel does. I mean, even the EU, which theoretically um, promotes itself as this power of good and this conditionality that is that they have relations with other countries provided that they adhere to some good norms and values. And all of this stuff is gone. There's nothing there. Who are the ones trying to do something? It's the non-Western world. And I mean, you've had some, I mean, Russia is limited what it can do, but it's been making some uh, slight overtures in spite of fighting a war itself. Uh, And then you've had China, but you, you've had nothing from the West, including Israel, other than expanding the conflict beyond Gaza to something regional. And then there's, and just to, to finish up, because it's relevant here in NZ, and um, it'll be interesting to hear in your part of the world as well, there, you know, people hit the streets in the weekend supporting Palestinians. Fair enough, you're allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen... Similar size, though I could have missed it, um, support demonstrations for Israel. Point is, though, in many Western countries, there are nearly a million Muslims in Australia, for example, um, and there are other yeah. you know, European countries with large Muslim populations. This could end up being yes. a ticking time bomb within, right? Well, it has been for decades now, and this is one of those triggers that can set it off, uh, especially when you have such a dissonance and distance between <clears throat> what leaders, so-called, of the EU uh, are saying, uh, which is an utter contradiction to these large immigrant communities. I mean, you, you've, <laughs> I mean, you're going to have these problems, and especially that. Uh, 
I mean, this is something which is really igniting and mobilizing the, these uh, populations a, a lot. Uh, but it's it's not only them, and that's the issue. When you, when you look at some of these pictures uh, and videos, I mean, not everyone is an immigrant there because uh, you, you see there there are enough uh, other uh, you know Caucasians who are in the crowd as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this. I mean, once once more. I mean, it's coming to this point where you're creating new fractures uh, and conflicts within uh, Western society by taking the course that they are. They're not taking a nuanced course. They're not taking uh, an ambiguous course. I mean, if they had some kind of ambiguity, uh, then uh, maybe the tensions wouldn't be so so great. I mean. No, okay, yeah, Israel has the right to defend itself, but it has no right for disproportionate response. No one can say that. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, I mean, where, where are you at? And their only response is to ban people from uh, voicing their support for Palestine. And, okay, and then that comes into these idiotic slogans which read, as those slogans on the wall of the Ministry of Truth in 1984, uh, democracy, uh, rule of law, uh, respect for human rights. <laughs> so we, we, it just goes around and around. Let's leave it there, but let's come back maybe in a few weeks, a week or two, as um, as this thing, what's the term, develops, developing, yes, well, developing story. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, no, no. See where the train wreck goes from here. Yeah, how long do you think it'll be to get to get a wrecked train? I well, everything depends. I think to an extent on Netanyahu and what he does, be, because you've got all of these countries on the on the sideline: Turkey, Iran, Syria. I mean, even Egypt and uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon. They're waiting to see what he does, and if he if he's stupid enough to do some of the things which he's been warned not to do, which are absolutely contrary to uh, Israel's um, interests and security, which is what those opposing him in Israel are saying, uh, then I, I think it will get much more, shall we say, interesting. Okay. Well, let's um, have a, another look at that maybe in a week or, or two at the latest anyway. Greg Simons, um, who is uh, from the Department of Communication Sciences, Tariba University, Riga, Latvia, Kiwi in Latvia. Thanks, Greg. I look forward to talking again on this one, and let's hope it doesn't, uh, you know, go become too much of a wreck. Hell, another bit of understanding <laughs> there. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. We'll talk it's, soon. Uh, absolutely. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate, RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. A couple of your texts and emails before we're done this morning. What a load of tosh. Talk about speculation on speculation using unproven historical examples. For you to think that Netanyahu orchestrated the attacks, effectively you must believe that he must control the entire military and intelligence apparatus and be able to trade off his own power for the most heinous crimes humanity has ever been capable of. Thank you for that, but I don't know who you're referring to. None of us said that. You're kind of making that one up if you're attributing it to us. 
I mean myself and Greg Simons, who we were talking to just um, a bit ago. I think we were just trying to search for answers to legitimate questions. That's all. Hi, RCR. Just listening to Paul and Greg on Palestine, Israel. Thank you for attempting to address this issue from a more bird's eye view. It's obviously, to say a massive understatement, incredibly complicated situation. I hope you'll have some more commentators on from both sides and those attempting to make sense of it all. Thank you, Anne. And this from Sarah. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having Greg on. I don't agree with everything he said, but I'm appreciative of having a platform where we hear different views. I've seen a lot from Cam Slater and Bob McCroskey coming from the Israel perspective, and of course they have the right to express that. I do think, though, that we're so often being pushed into sharing views on social media in a knee-jerk reaction. Everyone demands that everyone takes a position, rendering situations to black and white binary choices. Make a choice. Choose a side. Choose a tribe. Emotions run high. Extreme anxiety proliferates. And the losers are the people, men, women, and especially the children, caught in the middle. Thank you, Sarah. Nicely said. And thank you for sending in your feedback this morning. As you know, here at RCR, we are endeavouring to present a wide variety of information and perspectives. Our mission, as always, is to bring you both sides of the story. And of course, myself and the other hosts and contributors here at RCR are free to share our own personal views on these issues as several already have done in respect to the Israel-Palestine situation. So next up, Rodney Hyde on RCR with Real Talk, and today he's talking with Dane Giroux, a member of the Jewish community here in New Zealand. I'm sure we'll hear yet another perspective there. So get ready for Real Talk with Rodney. Through to one, then Tobias Tahi, the Truth Speakers show, through to four. The replays are back after that. And me and my team... Well, my team and I will be up and ready to do it all again from 7 tomorrow morning here at RCR. Have a great day. See you then. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.